to St. John's Sermons, a podcast from St. John's Lutheran Church, North Prairie, Wisconsin, a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We offer this podcast with the loving encouragement to use it as a supplement to your own regular reception of the Lord's gifts of forgiveness and life in word and sacrament on the Lord's day. The Lord bless your hearing of these sermons. reading as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount is from the fifth chapter of Matthew beginning at verse 27 where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Into your hands, I Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I do not remember the first sermon I ever wrote. I'm guessing it was a sermon I wrote for my first sermon writing class when I was in seminary, a first-year seminarian, and it's probably buried somewhere in a file in my files. And I'm guessing that uh, 
If I had any smarts at all, I would probably go hunting for it, seek it out, pull it out of my file, and light it on fire. (laughs) Because I have a feeling that I do not do sermons anymore like I was taught to do back then. And I'm I'm probably that way about my entire file back from the days when I used to write, literally write out, type out sermons. I've got a feeling there's probably not a one of them in my file that I'd be happy with. The reason I use that analogy is because we believe from first century scholarship and research about what it was like in first century Palestine that uh, first sermons for young rabbis were pretty big deals. That the first sermon a young rabbi would preach in the first century was his interpretation of the Mosaic law. And by the way, that is what Jesus was doing in our text tonight. He was really going at the Ten Commandments, the Moses law. And it would appear that there was a lot riding on that first sermon. It's almost as if it was some sort of a competition. And that young rabbis were encouraged to kind of come out of the gates swinging as they went at the law, and their credibility was really bound up in how well they interpreted Moses' law in their first ever sermon. And that's interesting. They weren't judged by uh, their preaching style. They weren't judged by how interesting they were or how uninteresting they were. They weren't judged by the fire and brimstone of the sermon. They were judged by the content. And the content was expected to be the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Moses' law. And their interpretation of it. <laughs> it wasn't like that for me. I stepped into the pulpit with much trepidation the first few times I ever did it. And uh, I don't think I started on such a strong, fiery note. Nor was I expected to preach just the Ten Commandments. But you know, I have a feeling that this sermon, this first sermon of Jesus... At the beginning of his ministry, up there on the mounts with those disciples, who, as you can tell by the end of the sermon, are starting to draw a bigger crowd, because of some of the things he's saying, I know for a fact that this sermon was unlike any those first century Jews had ever heard. Now, in our text tonight, I think you kind of you get it. If you were listening carefully to that reading, just about everything Jesus says has a shock value to it. He takes every commandment that he covers in this section and he puts it up on steroids. And You don't have to be a first century Jew to realize just how high he's pushing the bar in this section. But there's still an advantage to thinking a little bit like a first century Jew because there were aspects of this text too that we didn't really hear. I tried actually to bring it out in the reading, but I don't know if you heard it or not. For you and I, this is maybe not so controversial, but it was extremely controversial in the first century. For Jesus to say, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now you and I know that that's the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, and that God said those words. And I think first century Jews knew that God said those words too, but you know who they always ascribed them to? They didn't always ascribe those words to God. They ascribed them to Moses. 
And Moses is a significant figure in history. He is for them what George Washington is or Abraham Lincoln is for us. And Jesus says, you have heard essentially that Moses said, you shall not commit adultery. And then he does this several times. But I say to you, young punk. Catch that? Moses said X, but I'm telling you, it's about a whole lot more than you think. And he does this with, you shall not commit adultery. He does this with divorce. He does this with uh, taking oaths and how you talk to one another. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Moses said this, but I'm telling you this. Moses said X, but I'm telling you Y. Moses said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give them your cloak too when they take your tunic. You've heard there was said you can love your neighbor but hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, he keeps raising, 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 as our theme says, the bar. This sermon was extraordinary for its day. No one dared, not even the most precocious young rabbi, dared to talk this way. Jesus is preaching like a boxer who has just figured out his opponent's weakness. Right jab across the chin, left hook, up the middle, another right hook. You know how it is when that, when that opposing boxer has kind of lost his sense of who's ahead of, of his own defenses anymore, and all of a sudden the other boxer is landing punch after punch? Ever seen that? That's what's going on. Jesus is landing punches. And then, and then, he says, You therefore must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Down for the count. To quote Mr. Ketterhagen from last week's sermon, how are you doing on that? None of us are. We're down for the count. Jesus is preaching like as if he was God himself. (laughs) And as you and I know, that is what he is. And the real crying shame of it, if I go back to my sermon file and I take a look at what I might have preached over the course of the last 18 or really like 21 years, if I count my seminary years, is that so often I've not really done this. I've not really preached like this. I've not preached this. And it's hard to go to churches and find the pastor who will preach like this. To preach like this is to have the heart of a lion. And I don't have that. I might have the heart of the cowardly lion. (laughs) But many, many weeks, I probably did not preach this. 
Good news, I guess, for Pastor T is uh, I'm not called to preach my words. I'm called to preach Christ's. And wow, Christ doesn't mix words. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't uh, whatever the word is. He doesn't soft pedal it at all. You, therefore, must be perfect. You must love your enemies. You must turn the other cheek. You must keep your words yes or no and recognize that if you want to elaborate, the devil's got your tongue. You must remember that even if your eye causes you to look at someone else in a sexual manner, you've broken the sixth commandment and you must be ready to let your eye and your hand be cut off in order to prevent you from sinning. Better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell with your whole body. Those people had never heard that. I could ask you to raise your hands. Have you ever heard this? You and I can't do this. It's not possible. Jesus has indeed raised the bar. And what he's going to do through this entire sermon, he's going to continue to kind of hit his his hearers with jaw-dropping statements. This isn't going to get easier as the sermon goes on. But the sermon will end on a happy note, which we'll hear on Easter Sunday, as we realize what it means to build on the rock. But when Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he's he's finally leveled the playing field completely. Morally, ethically, you and I cannot argue that we are perfect. I have not had the heart of a lion to preach this kind of law every Sunday. I've been a coward, and I've been far far from perfect. But you and I have not had the the strength, the temerity, or the righteousness to live this kind of law every day of our lives. We have been far from perfect. So what's Jesus saying? Is there any hope for us? The answer is yes. The hope doesn't really strike you until you realize this. The hope doesn't really hit you until you realize that In order to have hope, you have to have something to hope for. And if you could do this, if you could meet this man, this this, this level of righteousness, if you could clear that bar, if you could pole vault it or do whatever you had to get over it, and you could earn this yourself, you wouldn't need that. You wouldn't need a, a suffering, a death, and a resurrection. You wouldn't need a Lord and a Savior. The one who says this astounding section of Scripture is the one who's going to put his money where his mouth is. Is the one who is going to meet this bar. He is the one whose eyes do not wander. He is the one who remains faithful to his bride, the church, against all odds. He is the one who, while dying on the cross, definitely lets his yes be yes and his no, no 
recognizing that if he says any more, he could get himself into trouble. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't call out the injustice of it. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't resist the evil ones. He turns the other cheek. He gives up his clothing to be gambled upon at the foot of his cross. And he went the extra mile to win our salvation. And he loved his enemies. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He loved his enemies and he prayed for those who persecuted him. He prayed for those who crucified him and he died for them too. And he did it all perfectly. And when you were brought to the waters of your baptism and when you have confessed your sins of not doing this perfectly, Every day. When I, I confessed it to you myself. That's the beauty of that Compline service and that confession is that I get to confess to you how I failed. You get to forgive me. And then I get to reciprocate. And you get to reciprocate. That in that forgiveness, that in that salvation, that in that water, that in that bread and wine, that in that body and blood is your perfection. Is a righteousness that is not your own, comes from outside of you, but is given to you and credited to you in God's bank as if you had won it yourself. Wow. The only way to have it is to see this sermon for what it's saying and realize that I have not done this. And I cannot do it, and I never will. Those are the people for whom Jesus died. Not the ones who can look on the unrighteousness of someone else and go, geez, I wonder what's wrong with them. That doesn't prove anything. But the ones like... Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am utterly destroyed. I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst the people of unclean lips. Like Jeremiah, who confessed his sins on many occasions. Like, um, who else am I thinking of? Gideon in the wine press, who, when he realizes he's dealing with God, admits his sins right up front. Like Abraham. Like Moses who didn't sit there and say, I'm a good person and that's why you should save me. But who stood before their lords and said, we are sinners and that's why you shouldn't save us. But God be praised, you do. Did you know that you are what verse 48 says you are? Did you know that in the forgiveness of your sins and in the body and blood of Christ, you have been made perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect? Do you know that that is how God looks at you as He looks through you through the cross of His one and only Son? Forgiven, washed clean, made perfect. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you got it. And that, my friends, is the good news.
Verse 48, Jesus essentially says, be what I've already made you to be. Now go out into that world, and even as you know you're going to mess it up as badly as I do, lean on that grace. Be whole, be complete, be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And know that that bar is too high for you. But Jesus' outstretched arms on the cross are Him clearing that bar for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's sing the sermon hymn, hymn 696. This podcast is a service of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. For more information, including locations, service times, and links to other Lutheran agencies, please visit our website at www.stjohnsnp.org. That's www.stjohnsnp.org. Theme music performed by Mr. Philip Magnus.